Hey everybody, you're listening to Creature Feature. It's the show where we open up that Russian nesting doll and find out that there's an animal inside humans and humans inside animals. We'll explore some of the strangest, most amazing animal and human behaviors and find some weird common ground. I'm Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology at Harvard, and I pretend to be a ranting bird on Twitter. Today, I have a special treat for you. It's the first annual Worst at Sex Awards show. Our nominees display some of the weirdest, stupidest, and most fatal of mating habits. We'll visit a freaky Frankenstein of fornication, the sex zombies who roam the earth, and a murderous stalker of amorous teens. Then we'll answer the age-old question, what happens when your weeder falls off? One of the more fascinating aspects of evolutionary biology is sex. It's the pivotal moment where genes get passed down or they splutter out. So, not surprisingly, mating habits can get pretty desperate. To give you a few examples, a giraffe will drink pee to see if his lover is fertile, bluegill fish will pretend to be females to sneak in sex when bigger males are present, and bed bugs will, so this gets kind of gross, they'll inject their sperm directly into the female's abdomen like they're a horny flu shot. But we're about to get even weirder with my nominees for the animals who are the worst at sex. Joining me today to judge these freaky fornicators is hilarious comedian and movie star Eric Lampere. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, odd that you invited me at the worst at sex uh, episode. Um, well, you what know... What did my ex-wife tell you? <laughs> um, we just, we put our feelers out there and... Uh, Ooh, that sounds, that sounds kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I do drink. I drink pee from my mate to see if she's fertile. Oh, good, good. Um, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things where unless you've had that conversation, you really haven't <laughs> brought your relationship to the next level. Like, can I? How does so you? Because you're obviously super smart. So how does a giraffe? Doll. How does a giraffe <laughs> get? To the pee, does the female piss first and then like drink from the like the floor, or does the <laughs> does the male go down, like, and then so as this, it sprays out? So this is very interesting. Um, when females are in estrus, they'll often you know, and they see a male, they'll often urinate uh, because you know they're like, hey, check out my urine. And giraffes, it's kind of related to the question to like, how do giraffes? drink because their necks are so huge they actually have all these valves that keep their blood pressure up otherwise when they would bend down to drink they would pass out right um so like they they bend down as if they're going to drink from a water and hole yeah they've got to do like that yoga position yeah the 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 splayed downward facing dog pee drinking giraffe yoga pose it's very good good for your glutes um but like and then so there's like a trickle of urine and they kind of sniff around it and drink it and right uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's really they're one of the world's most graceful, elegant creatures. And I almost they, got headbutted by one. Really? Actually, yeah. Um, I uh, my dad's a jockey, and so we mm. we moved around quite a lot around the world. It's a very odd job. Um, I did, I thought jockeys rode horses. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's that is what my dad does. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know I'm super tall. Like I'm in, I'm incredibly tall. Right, uh, right. Of my mum's my mum's jeans. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we travelled around a lot, and uh, he he worked in South Africa for a while. Wow. And uh, we went to this uh, park where the animals sort of roamed free, except for like the you know the carnivorous ones, mm. uh, lions and stuff. And uh, yeah, we started walking around, and we just came across this giraffe mm. who felt threatened by mm. us two tiny homo sapiens yeah. and just went for a swing, went for a headbutt. Oh, oh my. And very luckily, we, you know, 
missed us. That's good, yeah. Uh, they have very strong necks. Yeah, I mean, that's how they fight. Yeah, they? yeah. They, when they're competing with another potential romantic rival, they will butt necks. Yeah, butt necks. And it, looks, necks, yeah. it looks really painful. It looks pretty bad, yeah. Because yeah. it's, you know, a lot of momentum you can build up with such a big neck. So it's just like they swing it <laughs> like a big fleshy wiffle bat at each other. I'm an alpha. I don't know yeah. if you can tell by my voice and yes. my physique. Yes. Feel free to Google me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, that is exactly how I attract the human female. I fight men yeah. with my neck. Yeah. Do I win? No. no but I, you, you put up a good show. Oh, I put on such a good show. <laughs> <laughs> so first let's talk about something that's called sexual paratism. Mm. So there are a lot of different behaviors leading up to and following mating. Some are romantic. This is a really cute example. Every morning, seahorse couples will dance together, holding their tails, changing colors, and touching their little snoots together as a way to bond, and they're checking each other's reproductive status at the same time. Others are the opposite of romantic. Some species of spiders, praying mantises, scorpions, and anacondas will eat their unfortunate male partner after sex. But I want to get even weirder, because I think a lot of people know about the spiders that eat those poor little males. And yeah, the like I've, I've definitely heard the praying mantis. Yeah, <laughs> so actually, uh, I want you to go on an imagination journey with me. Oh, that's my favorite journey. Right. So you go out clubbing and you meet this cute guy or girl, you know, and you head it off and... <laughs> Sorry, I'm sad <laughs> nice. a little no, bit. No, 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 this is good ambiance. <laughs> uh, so, well, you meet someone, you, you have sex, it's great, you fall asleep. The next morning, he or she makes you breakfast and acts really clingy, saying that they've never met a more wonderful person and that they're in love. And you're like, okay, please leave. Uh, this is getting kind of weird. And then the next morning, you wake up dizzy and bloated, and you're like, you notice like a bunch of stuff has already moved in. And you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> and you have this like pain on your side, and you look over, and there is your one night stand standing there with a pair of bloody scissors and needle and thread, and they've stitched themselves to your torso. And they're like, we'll never be apart now. That sounds terrifying, but almost like, you know, you said an imagination journey. A lot of people, I think, have lived almost that sort of experience. <laughs> yeah, in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, yeah where you realize, uh-oh, got a clinger going on. That would be yeah, very frustrating. To, mm -hmm. Is she helping with the rent? Well, I mean, you would certainly hope so if she's living off of your liver. Right. Yeah. So what animals do this? Obviously, well, there's the anglerfish. Yes. So did I just guess it right? You Was did. That? Mate. Congratulations. Am I in Harvard? You are in Harvard right now. <laughs> I am Harvard. You okay. are Harvard. I didn't realize it was that easy to get in. <laughs> we'll have to uh, amend our introduction. Uh, Eric, who is Harvard. So you may have heard of like the them attaching themselves. Right. And, and as you put it, they kind of do become like the female anglerfish's ball sack in a way. It's obviously I'm anthropomorphizing it. So like it feels like a very weird life. But yes. ultimately it's like that's just their life. I don't think the male anglerfish goes, this is shit. He probably <laughs> goes, oh, I guess loads of nutrients, right? So he gets a good life out of it. You think so. No? Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a human centipede situation, though, because they actually latch on with their jaw. Yeah. And these are... 
compared to the female, they're really tiny. They're one fortieth of the female size. And I've actually held an anglerfish and her paired mate before. Oh, really? Yeah, it was like this like squishy, bony, pruny thing is like, it was a dead one. It was What restaurant? In, oh, uh, I don't know if I should say. <laughs> I've, I've left them a bad Yelp review. Um, but it, it was really interesting because it's like, I was trying to find the male on it and it's really hard because it looks like a little fin or a little like bulbous protrusion. Right. It doesn't... Because does, doesn't it eventually sort of become like a sort of fin? Because the sort of scar tissue yes. makes it sort of heal yeah. into this little thing right yeah so it uh by the way the reason i know this stuff is not because i'm educated well it's, I guess <laughs> it's because i love marijuana and david mm. amber it and, sounds like you are educated and then. when you put the two together you have yourself a lovely tuesday night in once their jaws attach they actually so the mechanism is that they release this enzyme that melts the skin of mm. the male and the female so that it just kind of like it like melts onto it sort of like you know just like cheese mm. uh, it sounds really good but uh it's really interesting because like if males don't find a female they'll just die they'll just die right yeah they'll just die because like they they reach a certain point in their life cycle where they actually depend on nutrition from a female that they're getting their blood supply from and it sounds like a lot of men out there that can't take care of themselves. <laughs> I know plenty of men who will die if they don't find a female because they are idiots who can't boil an egg. Yeah. And then they just sort of, and because men don't talk a lot, they sort of stay at home <laughs> alone and uh, die of loneliness. You know, according to commercials, like men can't operate dishwashers. Like if you try to get them to wash dishes, they'll like how to wash dish and then like shove it in a toaster and burn the house down. I did find out that the dishwasher was invented by a woman. Really? So perhaps it's because it's an invention that we just don't understand. <laughs> That's such an excuse. Like, like, <laughs> oh, I, I can't possibly operate this broom. It's it's beyond me. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good parasitic sexual yes. encounter. What about actual parasites? Uh, is that reproductive? Like, oh, how does that work? Because I had a parasite once up my mm. bum. Uh-oh. And, uh, and the way it reproduces is... It's not sex like we know it, right? Because so I I had some worms. It you know it grew in my stomach, lived near my bum, mm-hmm. near my sphincter. Yeah, and then it's little that was his balcony, his porch. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then at night they'd come out, lay some eggs. The yeah. eggs are really itchy, so then you want to itch your bum. Yeah, and then that actually that action of itching helps the eggs hatch. Yeah, because then because then you itch it, and then you if you touch your like mouth afterwards, yeah. mm-hmm. I, I would recommend you wash your hands. Yeah. Uh, but evolutionary wise, you know, before we had underwear, yeah, you know, you'd probably touch your mouth and then the yeah. cycle starts again. Exactly. But is that a form of sex? Is so, that like us having sex with the parasite? Well, you know, that's sort of a philosophical adventure, but biologically speaking, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so sex is the exchange of gametes. You're not actually donating any genetic material to the right. Uh, okay. I'm just a sort of uh, a reservoir. Yeah, you're 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 like the Motel Six for the for the oh, parasites. <laughs> <laughs> so just one more thing about these anglerfish: they can actually host up to six males at the same time. Slut. I know, right? <laughs> if it was a man anglerfish and six females, he'd be a stud. But in yeah, this society, it's a double standard. Yeah, it really it's is. It's so funny because it's like. 
you know, you do have some cases of hypergamy and like, fem- so female animals having more than one male mate. Right, right. But also, you know, you, you're talking about the culture and how like, you know, th- these tribes sort of looked after each other like a family. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of language in older tribes uh, would call each other brothers and sisters, right? They're all one family. Mm-hmm. And they would actually raise each other like, uh, so I read somewhere that one woman would have sex with multiple men and then when she gave birth, all these men yeah. were the fathers yeah. because they were like, well, we don't know who is whose it is. Right. And so then they all raised that child right. like they were all the fathers. Right, and which so it is makes ca- the society yeah. into a beautiful... Which is interesting because that would be in, in animal biology, that'd be called like eusociality, which is like the model that ant colonies, bee colonies, and they're also like uh, mammals who do that. So naked mole rats where you have a limited number of of breeders, limited number of, uh, so like a queen or a few queens that that actually give birth. And then everyone takes care of the young as if like they're all the parents. Right. Um, That's that's actually how uh, we have people in the UK. We have one queen and uh, (laughs) we have sex with her repeatedly. Right, right. And she actually gives birth to the entire nation. Yes, that's uh, (laughs) a... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you know that about the UK, but that is that is how we do. That's it. why she wears those big, like, uh, colorful overcoats. Oh, it's to she, hide she all the pregnancy. The she's got a pregnancy yeah. at the front. She's got a pregnancy yeah. at the back. Like you know, have you ever on seen on her head? The oh, hats. Like, have you ever seen the gremlins? You know, where like <laughs> as soon as they get wet, they've got yeah. loads of like babies growing on their yeah, backs. Yeah, yeah. That's the queen. She, so you're saying the? <laughs> let me hang on. I'm just gonna put this in other words. You're saying that the Queen of England reproduces by budding. By, by what? Budding. So, like, uh, it's how, like, sea sponges and, and other animals will reproduce. They have a growth that comes out of them. Oh, and then yes, that's right. That's exactly back. what I'm saying. Yes. And that is a fact, and I want I want okay. to say it. Because fact. people are scared to say it, but I'm not uh, scared. Yeah, it's, it's really speaking truth to power. <laughs> so, have you ever thought about penis transplants? No, not I, not I, for I th- you personally. Th- this I is not an attack all the time. on you. <laughs> I actually have thought about it, yeah. Mm. I thought it would be, you know, useful. <laughs> well... So I bring it up because the female anglerfish is essentially being donated a bunch of living penises, which attach to her body. And for humans, successful penis transplants would be really helpful for men who have lost their penises due to cancer or other trauma, for trans men born without a penis. And so this seems like some kind of distant sci-fi thing, but... The first penis transplant in the U.S. occurred in 2016. There's this guy, Tom Manning, whose penis was amputated due to cancer. And what's kind of funny is the only reason doctors found out he had penile cancer is he had crushed his crotch in a bizarre hand truck accident. Oh, my gosh. So it's like, and they were going in, and he's like, we're going to need surgery to fix your penis, which got, you know, this really awful traumatic injury. But they found the tumor in the process, and they're like, well, you know, we have to actually amputate because it's very dangerous. It's like if it metastasizes, it, it travels to lymph nodes, and then right. you can, it's potentially fatal. Um, so, you know, he chose to have the penis removed to, to remove the cancer. Which is wise. Yes. You know, it'd probably be a hard move, but it's like yes. when Angelina Jolie, when she yes, got her, her breast removed, it was like, it's the, yes. yeah, it made sense. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I totally sympathize with people who feel like this is part of their body and it's hard to kind of like remove it and especially something that's so important for sexual function. So, But also like identity. Yeah. It'd be very strange if I had to remove my dick (laughs) and and then let's say people knew about it Mm. because then I'd be like, 
Thickless Lampert, yeah. right? Uh, which is a name that I, for some reason, I had at school. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, in, in Game of Thrones, there's the one that gets his dick That's cut right. off. And then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. he's like this weak yeah. person. Yeah, I mean, it's really sort of, uh, there's can something... I just, can I just yeah. say, I, d- I don't know where the joke is, but uh, that, <laughs> that gentleman is called Mr. Manning, right? Mr. Manning mm. got his penis removed. That's the, I, a, I don't know where the joke is. It's not really a joke. It's more like a cosmic irony. Yeah. It's like, you know what? We're going to just really twist that penis knife in your back kind of <laughs> thing. Penis knife. Um, so, it, so has he got a penis now? Well, here we go. So doctors taketh away, but doctors also giveth. <laughs> Um, in order to restore Manning's member, surgeons spent 15 hours in the operating room attaching a penis from an organ donor. The lead of the surgical team said that this is a new frontier, quote, we're cautiously optimistic, it's uncharted waters for us, which is not the thing I want to hear before going into a surgery, especially around such a delicate area. Just like, oh, you know, this is a brave new frontier. It's right. an adventure. Think of it. Don't think of it as surgery. Think of it as like an adventure. But if I didn't have a penis, I would rather go on this adventure yes, and give it a go. That's true. And, and do you know if this penis works in terms of like the erection? Yes. Yeah, so here's the thing is uh, his transplanted penis is hoped to regain normal urinary and sexual function. You know, it's it's a long recovery process because you're reattaching a lot of nerves, a lot of, um, you know, sort of vascular tissues. Right. Uh, and, and for the penis, you know, it's very important to have that vascular system working. Otherwise, you can't get an erection because it, it, it fills with blood. And that's that's the whole right. thing. So if you don't have everything reattached, right, if th- things haven't healed, if the swelling hasn't gone down, you're not going to have that sexual function restored. Right, right, right. And so he hasn't. <laughs> it's so funny that article I was reading specified that he hasn't had sex yet which is kind of funny because it's true we're all waiting with bated breath to see if he can have sex so it's like the one guy in the world who's like everyone's like have you had sex yet have you had sex and yet? we're really supportive yeah like, no no Mr. It's not- Manning if you're listening I, you do need yes, to tell us please let us know like I'm actually really hoping to put a google alert up to see like if if it happens for him and he says the, the patient, he says, uh, if and when he's able to have sex, he's going to call up his surgeons and yell, quote, it's alive. <laughs> really, That's nice. And I'm glad he has a sense of humor about it. Yeah, I guess you have to because, you know, if you are in an amorous relationship with, uh, you know, either female or male, we don't know his gender preference. Mm-hmm. It's an important part of, of the, the sexual experience, I feel like. What's that? Having a penis. <laughs> For a man, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, for everyone, it's there are all sorts of different situations. But like, if that's what you want, if that's part of your identity, that's very important. So it's like not everybody needs it, but if it's your thing, then you want it, and yeah. it's it's important. It's important for your mental health. It is. Yeah. It is. There's a lot of stress out there. You know, I, for example, oft lose my erections <laughs> because I I just think too much. I mean, mm-hmm. he's got a broken penis and. His probably will work better than a lot of men out there. (laughs) Well, so I get that all this talk of wieners popping off might make some of you (laughs) squeamish. So we're going to take a quick break for some messages. And then we'll be back to talk more about penises. Hooray. (laughs) So you know how cocky men are often mocked for, like, dick-swinging contests and... I mean, even presidential candidates seem to brag about their penis size nowadays. 
So when you hear the term penis fencing, you might expect something metaphorical, a contest of masculinity between two insecure men. But in the case of the marine flatworm, this takes on a very literal interpretation. I actually know this. You do? So uh, they, they, they penis fight with their mm -hmm. swords, mm -hmm. and then whichever one gets stabbed, yes. right, the, the stabby, yeah. the, the, the one that becomes stabbed, becomes female. Basically, yes, yes. So these marine flatworms, they're actually kind of pretty. They look like flower petals, mm, but yeah, yeah. they are uh, these marine worms basically they're not they're not worms they're flatworms which is a different animal but penis fencing ultimately is what we all do all animals mm. right they, they fight it's just that the other one doesn't it's necessarily like, become a female it just becomes right. dead or you or know, just doesn't get to reproduce doesn't and, get to reproduce and yeah i think it's like it's nice that they kind of are so on the nose with the metaphor just like no fancy cars no like talking about beating someone up just like straight up fighting with your dicks like it's it's uh, so nice be, it'd be great it'd be a great way for us to resolve our issues yeah you know? uh so there's a, uh, a sea slug called Chromodorus reticulata. Um, mm. We'll just call it Steve. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's also known as a nudibranch. Um, so sea slugs are also hermaphrodites, like right. the flatworms we just disgusted. <laughs> disgusted? <laughs> we're just disgusted with them. Um, no, just disgust. We, we're very accepting. So uh, they don't use hypodermic insemination, which is a relief, um, but they do shed their penis after mating. Oh, so they get one shot? No, because there's some good news. 24 hours later, the neuter branch will regrow their entire penis. Oh, if only Mr. Manning I know. was a slug. Could you just like inject some neuter branch juice in you and grow a new penis? Well, surely. Isn't that what we're doing with That's genetics? Right. Aren't I we playing with so. genetics that, yeah. to the point where we're able to like use animal genetics yeah. in our own? Yeah. Right? At some point, we're going to get to that level, aren't we? Yeah, you would hope so. I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, Anytime you're trying to use some foreign animal's genetics on a human, it's going to have a lot of complications right. um, because you can't, you know, it, it just doesn't map exactly. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, learning that we can do from like how it, re like how they do that. Right. And here's a, a surprise. They have a huge coil of penis inside them a huge these, coil so it just yes. sort of like grows but like shark's teeth it just keeps yeah. coming out yeah like fruit by the foot you know just like it keeps <laughs> they just keep dispensing penises except i mean they have spines on them so it's not quite fruit by the foot uh, the, the, well the penises have spines they on have them. spines yeah they're spiky I, but why shed your penis is the big question like why what's the evolutionary reason right right. right well so it's thought to give an advantage in mating because uh basically we, we were talking about this where you have um, this issue of when you're when you have competitors and you're mating, sometimes someone will have mated with the female beforehand. So you have this uh, this sperm in there that you don't, as the male, you don't want that in there because it's competing with your sperm. So right. with the detachable penis, uh, they it can stays actually, in. No, no, no. But it almost it cleans it out like like a Lysol wipe, <laughs> like just like cleans it out. They can they can throw it out. Because then, like, you know, if they had a normal non-detachable penis and they had sex with it. Oh, it would be dirty. Right, it would be and dirty. And the next, right, the next time they had sex with another female, they'd have competitive 
semen on their right, and on I, their I, penis. And yeah. I, so then they just have this big coil of penis, and right. then they can just like tear off that old penis, have a new one, and then have sex with a spanking brand new clean penis. I. I, I, for some reason, I imagined, uh, you know, like a crime happened with these sea slugs. Mm. And then the sort of sea slug detective comes on the scene and goes, ah, I've seen this penis before. <laughs> <laughs> He's like holding it up. It's flopping around. He's inspecting it. It's like, yeah, yeah. that's our guy. That's Steve right there. Yeah. Um, so there's actually a song called Detachable Penis. Have you heard of this? No, but uh, can, uh, can we? It's a song by King Missile, which is a 90s alt-rock band. Um, here, let me let me play it for you. I woke up this morning with a bad hangover, and my penis was missing again. This happens all the time. It's detachable. <laughs> this comes in handy a lot of the time. I can leave it home when I think it's going to get me in trouble, or I can rent it out when I don't need it. But now and then I go to a party, get drunk, and the next morning I can't, for the life of me, remember what I did with it. First I looked around my apartment and I couldn't find it. So I called up the place where the party was. They had to leave it. <laughs> I love that I detail. Check the medicine cabinet. <laughs> for some reason, I leave it there sometimes, but not this time. <laughs> so I told them if it pops up to let me know. I called a few people at the party, but they were no help either. I was starting to get desperate. I really don't like being without my penis for too long. It makes me feel like less than a I really hate having to sit down every time I take a leap. <laughs> that is incredible. Yes, I mean, the 90s have, did they just have an uh, an unexplored treasure trove of songs? Because I certainly didn't listen to this when I was a kid. I've never heard of that. but yeah. And what I really liked, because I thought, oh, you know what, it's just a title. And, and it explores other things. But it's very much... Uh, about life with yes. a detachable penis. Yes. And also what was nice is that it's not like the sea slug where it just comes, it's like it, it, it comes off after sex. It's like one that you can just take off right, if you don't right. need it. Like he said, oh, I don't need it today. Right, like oh. a pair of sunglasses, yeah. Right. I, I just, I like how they go into detail about how like, oh, you know, I called the restaurant to see if I left it there. And <laughs> as, a, as a forgetful person, I'm really glad that I don't have body parts that I can just leave everywhere because I would be just like this stump of a torso rolling around yeah it would be very frustrating oh god where's my bloody penis again <laughs> but then um in this world in this universe that he's created mm -hmm. does he have is is his one penis for him or can you like go buy more at a store i think it's i think you everyone gets one penis just the one so like just, if you lose it you're in yeah, trouble yeah there are many like them but that one is his right that one's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> they're like snowflakes so, oh, that was I, nice. I needed that. Yes, I, I think it's about time to talk about ghost dicks. Ghost uh, dicks. <laughs> so, na -na -na -na. Nice, nice. So you know what phantom limb is, right? Yes, I do. Like when you get a limb removed, your brain still senses that the limb is there and it's intact, and you can feel phantom sensations from the amputated limb. Well, guess what? The same thing goes for penises. So Mr. Manning probably felt like his penis was there. Possibly, yes. So like... If you're unlucky enough to have a penectomy, which is the technical term for the surgical removal of the penis, you may experience phantom penis sensations. Oh, that's interesting. It's sort of like on the surface kind of 
funny maybe, but like because it's about penises and we're all children inside really. But, you know, for, for a lot of men, the experience can be very painful, both physical and psychologically, as I'm sure you can imagine. And One thing that I find very interesting, and as an adult, I'm, I'm really just quite chill to talk about it, is how much the brain affects the penis, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, in, in that, like, I, so I have, like, anxiety and stuff like that. And if my brain is not, like, yeah. you know, like, that Friends episode where Monica teaches Chandler, like, okay, so you got to do, like, number one, then number one and number two. You know, the, all the erogenous zones. Because, right, right. like, a man, like, people go, oh, a man's erogenous zone is just his penis, <laughs> right? And actually, I don't really don't think that's true. It's it, mental, it, yeah. It depends, it depends on a lot, but actually, mentally, it affects it so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, know, it's it's sort of the same reason that phantom limb exists. It's that your mapping of all your limbs, including your your penis or other other body parts, is in your brain. So right. like you do have this sort of like you have like all the feeling that you get when you know you you have you hit your hand or something. It's happening inside your brain. So right. like what I'm trying to say is your penis is in your brain. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, so. As we talked about earlier, we're just beginning to develop penis transplant methods. So what can we do about phantom penis in the meantime while you're waiting for a donor penis, hopefully? Um, so one of the treatments is called mirror box therapy. Uh, this is this is actually treatment for phantom limb, not for phantom penis. Uh, so say you've lost an arm. Your existing arm is placed in a box with a mirror so that when you're looking at it, it kind of looks like you have two arms, right. even though you don't. Um so then that kind of tricks the brain into sensing that there are two intact limbs. So you can like, because like with phantom limb, you can often have these pains, these cramps, like you're holding your hand in a fist and your right. muscles are cramped. So like if you, if it looks like you have two arms and you start stretching or massaging like your existing arm, you kind of, you can trick your brain sometimes into thinking that you're massaging or stretching the other arm. Right. So like these, these phantom pains can be alleviated. Surely um, virtual reality will also alleviate yes. this. Yes. Uh, have you ever tried? Sort of I have. I have uh, put on, been in the virtual world, uh, did some drawings, shot some arrows. It's pretty cool. Like, it's it's amazing yeah. how it tricks the brain. Like yeah. I really did not realize. I played the Batman game. Yeah. And I was on oh, a really? sort of really yeah. high balcony, and I I looked down and I felt vertigo. Even though I yeah. I knew that I was in the living room. Yeah. Uh, my brain was going. I, this is, yeah, you're gonna die. We're high here. We're yeah. really high. When when and something is like thrown at you in virtual reality, you're like you're you're braced yeah. for impact. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the problem though with the virtual reality and and mirror box therapy is that like with your arms, it kind of makes sense because you have like a corresponding other arm, right. so you can like feel stuff in your arm, and the mapping for left and right arm is kind of similar. Hmm. Unless you're a snake, you don't have two penises. Right. So, I mean, like, I think virtual reality or, like, a prosthetic penis where it's, like, you have something and then you, like, you figure out, like, some part of the body where the neurological mapping for that is similar to the penis. Like, maybe, like, the thigh or, like, the foot or something. Right. And then you, you do sort of the mirror box. Like, there's actually a different um, study that is called the rubber hand illusion. Um, so like... Oh, I've seen that. Have where you the, seen that? Yeah, Where yeah. you like rub the rubber hand and That's then you right. stab it. Yeah. Right? Oh no, you rub the rubber hand and your real hand. That's right. So you have these two hands. One is fake, one is rubber, and one's your real hand. And then 
the experimenter is like stroking both hands like with a brush or something. And your real hand is time. hidden from view. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. So you kind of you're just staring at this rubber hand. And so as you're getting stroked on this this hand, you see it corresponding to that. And your brain kind of gets confused and thinks that the rubber hand is your hand. So then when someone some asshole comes in and smashes it with a hammer, you're like people flinch. People, people report yeah, yeah, feeling yeah. pain. So um which is amazing. Yes, it's really cool. And it's actually really interesting because it actually works both ways. So a study showed that like after you brought the hammer down and you experienced pain, if they rubbed a soothing balm on the fake hand, it actually makes the real hand feel less pain. So you, you, you have these asshole doctors who are hitting your rubber hand with a thing and they're like, oh, it's okay. We'll, we'll heal it with this like mysterious balm and then you feel better. And Pretty I, messed up, but I it's, do wonder it's really about the, cool. the phantom penis thing and going back to virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, I've obviously never gone on porn, but I, I hear that <laughs> guys do. But like, there, there is like uh, porn where you know it's mm-hmm. POV, mm-hmm. right? Where essentially you, you know you don't see the guy, but the, the, the way it's filmed is right. You know, it looks like you're sort of having sex, but obviously right. it's just on the screen, so you're not fully hidden. Now in virtual reality, it would look like it's your body, right? Right. And so you would have this penis, even though you might, let's say, not have one. Yeah. Right. And I'm thinking that, you know, with, with gloves that like, we're not there yet, but uh, if you go in that virtual reality and then with your hand, you touch something that feels like a sort of an erect penis, like right. a really sort of realistic dildo, right? then could you not bring yourself to orgasm with the visual stimuli? I, I personally, I, I feel like I could. <laughs> just because the visual stimuli plus mm-hmm. the, the the action would then make me go well I, i'm doing it could sure. be i mean i think i think you would because if it's in the brain right right like some women can bring themselves to orgasm yeah just with their mind yeah i mean i think it, it would it would definitely vary from person to person the key would be to stimulate that the part of the brain that holds that neural network that represents like your your penis Sort of like with the rubber hand or mirror one, it's like you're you're stimulating a different part of the body that, but that's like related to the area of the brain that represents the missing limb. So like, or if you could like through virtual reality or or some kind of like um, sexy thought exercise, be able to trigger that just through sort of this kind of like visual stimulation. I you could must see that. be. I mean, yeah. I I remember as a teenager, I've I've not had them for. Maybe even decades, but I remember as a teenager waking up to uh, after having wet dreams. Yeah, and it's not like I don't. I wasn't touching myself in my in my sleep. Maybe I mean, maybe I was. I don't know. But I, I don't <laughs> well, think don't I was. To. You don't. No, you don't have to be. The, the that's that's what something that's interesting, especially for uh, adolescents, is like you don't. Uh, that can happen regardless of arousal, regardless of any kind of like physical. Right. So touching, if we yeah. can access that part of the brain and sort yeah. of stimulate it with like sort of electromagnetic yeah. helmets or something like that. I bet you could have some perverted like neurosurgeon like find out where like the sexy part of the brain is and like poke it. Aren't they like, is, is, didn't Obama put into, because uh, you know we've got the genome project and mm-hmm. we've got that all in sort of mapped out. Aren't they mapping out almost every sort of neuron, I don't know what the phraseology is. Yeah, so like um, trying to map out neural networks. Yeah, yeah it, they're still working on that, right? Yeah, I think it's it's a tricky thing because like brains can be so dependent, like the structure of the brain the, what makes you you basically just varies from person to person. Mm. Our genes, um, they also vary, but there's a lot of shared 
patterns in genes right so that we can we can basically make maps of, mm -hmm. of genes and then use that as a template and we can to some extent with the brain but i mean it's part of the great thing about the human brain is it also makes it trickier to map because we have like this um neuroplasticity where like you don't have like you don't necessarily just have like math and like right behind your right eye say it's like it's kind right. of this like all over your brain in this sort of pattern of activation of your neurons um but i, I mean i you know i'm being bad at improv yes i'm i'm no butting you i should be yes anding which is that there's definitely a lot of shared features of the brain a lot of areas of the brain that um are responsible for the same things so you right. have uh that's why we have the different kind of lobes of the brain that that we can study and we know are roughly responsible for certain things so i think like mapping out these neural networks and being able to basically see what a pattern means in in their brain is really exciting yeah because once you know once scientists figure it out then surely they'll be able to manipulate it like like now that we know what genes are and how, how we can manipulate them we can sort of change things about them so on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Uh, do you believe in demons? You may be a skeptic, but there is something strange going on when people throughout history and in different cultures describe the same demonic entity. Are they all lying or is something else going on? The Incubus is a supernatural entity that visits people, typically women, in the middle of the night and has sex with them. Free booty call, right? Well, unfortunately, many myths claim that having repeated sexual encounters with an Incubus can lead to death. Uh, the Incubus has been recorded in human history as early as 2400 BC in the Mesopotamian folklore regarding Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh's father, Lilu, visits and seduces women in their sleep. Incubi have been recorded in many different cultures, such as in tales of King Arthur and Merlin, in Christianity, in Germanic folklore, uh, which in Germany, it's a wicked elf that sits on your chest. Um, there's also Popo Bawa, which is a bat demon in Zanzibar folklore that wants to have sex with everyone. There's the Hungarian Lidirk, <laughs> which is a satanic being that flies into the room to have sex with you either in the form of a fiery ball of light or a featherless chicken. Uh, there's the Brazilian Bodo River Dolphin that transforms into a handsome man and seduces women, but must wear a hat to disguise the breathing hole on its head. Uh, in Turkey, the Karabasan will visit women at night as a heavy weight on their chest, which was thought to be caused by eating in bed. So how do you identify an incubus from a normal guy? Folklore claims an unusually large and cold penis is a dead giveaway. Bloody hell. I mean, <laughs> we're, okay, we'll probably have to go back and dissect a couple of these uh, <laughs> these bad boys. Which is your favorite one? Mine is the one that's either a fiery ball of light or a featherless chicken. I like how they can't really decide. If, I, if I'm honest, and maybe the listeners will back me up here, but there was so much imagery <laughs> that... Uh, I'd have to like sort of go back uh, mm -hmm. and and sort of hear them like sort of one at a time, but uh, is isn't you know that f that sensation of of feeling like someone's on top of you mm -hmm. isn't that sleep paralysis? That is correct. Uh, that's that's one of the symptoms of sleep paralysis, and I actually have sleep paralysis. You do? Yes. So have you felt these dwarfs like trying <laughs> to get on top of you? Yeah, sexy dwarves who like me for my long hair. Exactly. Um, 
For me, it's interesting. I actually don't get scared when I experience sleep paralysis. What happens is usually it's like if I take a nap or I'm sleep deprived. I actually just had it experienced a, a few days ago because I was taking a nap on the couch, which is always a bad idea for me because then what happens is your sleep or dreaming cycle is interrupted. So uh, when you're sleeping, there's this part of the brain called the pons that regulates sleep. So it'll stop sending signals to the spinal cord, which means you can like do Kung Fu in your dream, but then you won't like get up and start kicking your partner and your dog and everything. So that's, it's pretty useful. But when the normal sleep cycle is interrupted, you can partially regain consciousness. So parts of your brain are waking up, but you're still paralyzed. So this can result in things like auditory and visual hallucinations, a feeling of a menacing presence, and what feels like a weight on your chest, like someone is lying on top of you. Okay. Um, Which this is probably what's inspired all of these tales of the incubus. I I definitely felt that in terms of like, I've never never felt anything on top of me, Mm -hmm. but I felt these, uh, there's not nightmares, I wouldn't say dreams, but those nightmares where they felt so real that I ended up waking up and I was screaming. Yeah, and and which is very odd. Yeah, you know, and very then they don't happen that often. Yeah, but it was like this presence was was there. It's so menacing. Um, yeah, very menacing, terrifying. Because in the nightmare, I can move. Yeah, is that you I mean, can't? Is that what, so you can't move in the nightmare. In in the nightmare or the dream or whatever. Yeah, that's that's a that's a form of sleep paralysis where you're. It's just that you're. Um, part of you is like probably your sensation of your body has kind of woken up partially right and you can't move but your auditory and visuals parts of the brain are still asleep so you don't get you're not receiving information from the world around you but you're still receiving some information from your body and realizing you can't move right and then you have the you know your dream part of your brain having this like menacing presence right and and i feel like with those experiences uh so i'm personally not religious mm-hmm. so i sort of go oh god that, that was terrifying and and i wonder what the brain did right while if i was religious yes. uh, in any whatever the religions around the world you have then you would probably feel like it's this yeah. an evil spirit uh and, and therefore you'd have to yeah. come up with a story it's very culturally dependent so it's like for um a lot of alien abductions are thought to be sleep paralysis because like especially in like the 80s and 90s when you had a lot of this thing about like little gray men or aliens or right. even before then like like with the oh what was that called the the um you know the radio play by George Orwell the not not War of the Worlds was it uh yeah it was yeah, War it of the is, Worlds yeah. yeah that's it uh you know the idea of an alien abduction or or evil aliens coming was like sort of a cultural meme at that point whatever so. whatever's in the zeitgeist right right <laughs> it, it sort of like gets gets in your brain and yeah. then and then you sort of go oh it must be that yeah watch the daily zeitgeist <laughs> yeah <laughs> while you're at it I, i'll tell you once I'll, I'll share this it happened to me last week just about how amazing the brain is mm-hmm. so i'm writing a book no i'm writing a, a screenplay mm-hmm. at the moment about artificial intelligence and reality and how like even even today we don't know what's real anymore. You know, you go yeah. on Twitter and you go, oh, this president said this now. And you go, is that true? Is that not true? It's right. confusing. We, we are, we're all living in this sort of state yeah. of like not knowing what's real yeah, anymore. Yeah, filtered in information. Right. Yeah. And uh, I was getting, I was, I was pretty high. Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I, was, I had a little bit, a little bit too much marijuana. A smidge and, of the devil's lettuce. And, <laughs> and, and not only did I 
uh, sort of tackle the idea of, you know, could we be living in a computer simulation, mm-hmm. which, you know, a lot yeah, of people have could, thought about. Sure. You know, I feel like we could, you know, yeah. possibly. It's not just that I thought it. Is I felt it. Mm, that's interesting. And it, it was genuinely terrifying. And I had to call one of my friends who's a neuroscientist <laughs> because I was like, I, I'm actually freaking out. Yeah. And he calmed me down very quickly. But yeah. there was a very real few minutes where I, I felt the sensation of yeah. like being, uh, I was like, I felt claustrophobic. Right. Like, like, I, like everything around my skin right. was not a reality. Right. Because you're, you're probably went through like a disassociative episode because of the, the marijuana. But, oh. That that was a, an amazing sensation, and and again, mm. it just for me made me realize how uh, beautiful and crazy the brain is, and how like yeah. right now there's seven billion brains in the world, and we're all experiencing something different. Yeah, and that is amazing, and we're all just trying to make sense of it. Yeah, we're know? just we're trying to keep our brains inside our bodies. So when you have like sleep paralysis, you'll yeah. be like, wow, it's obviously a dwarf made of dolphin skin. Yeah, no, I mean that's so incredible to me. These sort of like. Just many. It's sort of like how every every culture has music. Every culture has a sex demon, which is, you know, kind of beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So, I want to talk about whether there's an actual animal who is like a, a sex demon. So there's a little mouse-like marsupial native to Australia called Antichinus. Uh, they're also called um, marsupial mice. Uh, they're more closely related to kangaroos and koalas than they are to mice or rats. But they, they kind of look like a little mouse or a rat. But in this case, like in most cultures, like the incubus will sex you to death. But in this case, the marsupial mice sex themselves to death. Um, wow. So like, I mean, that's a hell of a way to go. <laughs> that is how I would like to go. If it, yeah. You know, how did he die? I mean, he had too much he sex. He sexed himself to death. Yes. Oh, that's a dream. That is a dream to well, go. Well, it, it gets a little <laughs> bit grosser than that, though, because so they will have sex until they die, but they don't just like have a bunch of great sex and then keel over of a heart attack and peacefully go away. They literally disintegrate over time. So, what, so they like keep pummeling each other until like well, they sort just, of degenerate. Well, for, yeah. First of all, it's just the males that will die after mating, because like obviously, if the females died after mating, they wouldn't. <laughs> there would be right, no right, more right, of these right. mice. But um, so this is this is actually somewhat common. It's called similarity, where you have an animal that has sex once and then dies. So you have a lot of different examples: salmon, mayflies, some species of squid and octopi, teens in a horror movie, David Carradine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but. The males are virgins until they're about a year old, at which point the sex apocalypse. Sex Sex apocalypse. Sex apocalypse occurs. There we go. A month prior, the the male marsupial mouse has completely loaded up on its life's lifetime supply of sperm and has stopped production. So then the sex capades last from two to three weeks, and each sexual encounter can last for up to 14 hours. Jesus Christ. I mean that is too long. Yes. Well, isn't isn't that what Sting does to his wife? <laughs> like, apparently, like <laughs> that's why he, that's why he's called Sting. There um, we go. Oh, like, got him. Got him. <laughs> Nailed him. Got him. Doesn't he do like tantric sex to the point mm. where that's too long, Sting? It's, I I, I I've just got don't stuff believe to do. it. I mean, I feel like at a certain point you're just me checking your mail, you know, looking up the news. Oh, what a nightmare! Play, I, playing some Tetris <laughs> on your phone. <laughs> I cannot do. I, I wonder what the noise is. Um, not sting, uh, but mm. those marsupials. 
probably a lot of. No, do you know what I mean? That's, that's about that's that's about right. Probably. I'd be interested to hear because that's one thing I enjoy is like dog uh, uh, animal sex yeah. sounds. Mm. I'm sure you could find it. I'm sure there are websites that cater to those needs. Well, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um, just, just like the female mouse going like, oh my God, did your hand just fall off? <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they actually, they like turn into these like sex zombies because they are physically falling apart. The uh, sex marathons make the males lose their, lose their fur. They bleed internally. They develop ulcers and they become infested with gangrenous wounds. Oh my God. I know. I, I like how you use zombies because so that, that suggests that as soon as it happens, they're just in this mode yeah. that they just can't get out of. Yeah. And they're controlled by their sort of DNA. They're, they're, yeah, they're just they're like driven inextricably towards their sex doom. Oh, what a way to go though. Like, you know, like... You didn't sell me on the imagery, and mm. and yet I still would like to go like that. How did Eric die? He sexed himself <laughs> just, to death. Just literally fell apart. Flesh just came sex. off his bones and stuff. <laughs> well, so the reason that happens is that there's this oversaturation of stress hormones that comes with all of the sex that they're having. So that causes the immune system to collapse. So like even a minor scratch or something will turn into this big gangrenous infection. Um, so. Uh, someone who studies these uh, marsupial mice, Diana Fisher from the University of Queensland, says that by the end of the mating se- season, physically disintegrating males may run around frantically searching for last mating opportunities. By that time, the females are not surprisingly avoiding them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm thinking like the perspective of a man like dying yeah. during sex. But that as well. The, yeah, the just poor like, female mice, marsupials. Yeah, some some guys trying to do a booty call and his like arm falls off and it's just like it's like it's just gross. Like he's got open sores and oh, ugh, ugh, just a bunch of like just sex zombies pounding down your door. To like. any female marsupials listening, uh, I'd like to apologize on, on behalf <laughs> of men mankind. Hashtag yes all marsupial mice. <laughs> Um, so that's going to be timely and relevant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the, why would they do this? Why, why God, why would they do this? Is it just population control? No. So it's interesting. The, that's interesting that you'd say that because it's, um, it's a shortened breeding season that, uh, uh, so it's like this suicidal mating strategy that they have this like really large testes to body ratio so because they have uh this really narrow season in which they can reproduce which actually does have to do with like resources for the females to be able to raise their brood so in that sense it's not quite that it's population control but it's like resources control so i am harvard (laughs) you you is harvard um (laughs) so they have these huge balls full of sperm and then Ladies. they've just got to get as much of that out there during this, like, very brief window of opportunity to mate. And so it makes sense that, like, they don't really need to be around. They have very short lifespans, too, so they don't need to be around for when the babies are born. Right. So, like, their priority is getting as much sperm out there as they possibly can. So they're just going to, like, go and have sex as much as is physically possible uh, with like hair falling out and all these terrible things happening uh, because they have such a just brief window of right. orgy times. So are you comparing those to incubuses because they sort of become these zombie yes. slaves? Yes, they, they're they like these 
demons that like are just driven to have sex until they die. But then, but then, can you not say that about any life on Earth? In in that, like, that w- we are programmed. Obviously, Homo sapiens, mm. for example, have the option of saying no to genetics and saying, okay, I'm going to use birth control, mm-hmm. even though we are programmed to mate, right? right. But so we're intelligent enough to sort of go against nature. Yeah. And but at the same time. That is what we're here for, and our right. hormones drive us. I, and, and I really think that we are, in a way, philosophically speaking, zombies. We're mm. all zombies, yeah, right? because we are programmed by genetics, by our environment, and then by the laws of physics. Yeah, right? we don't have free will, technically. Yeah, right? I mean, I mean, it's something where it's like it's very clear when you look at like a marsupial mouse who is just like has been programmed with this thing like just keep boning until you die because it must not be pleasant to like having your skin falling off. So here's the question I'm sure is in everybody's minds is like and and what you kind of brought up before is like could you become like a sex zombie? Like you know are we so different from these marsupial mice? So there's actually this sleep disorder called sexomnia. um, I have that. You do? I don't have that. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I feel like I want it. Uh, no? I don't know if you do, because it's a form of sleepwalking in which the afflicted individual tries engaging in sexual activity during uh, non-rapid eye movement sleep. So rapid eye movement sleep, the shorthand REM, most people know. Yeah. That's like when you uh, you can see it by seeing the eyes moving under the eyelids, and mm. then um, it, it indicates sort of this deeper stage of sleep. Um, so uh, the sexomnia episodes have been documented using polysomnography, uh, which is there are these instruments that measure brain activity, eye and muscle movement during sleep and show um, sleep apnea is actually a trigger for these sexual uh, sexomnia episodes. Right. Um, but, but do they stay in bed or are they sleepwalking as well? Could, um, could they, what I'm saying is could they potentially commit a crime? While in that, would, in that mode, I mean, I'm not sure there have been any criminal cases. Because you know there are they, there have been, there have been cases, defense. haven't they? There have been sleepwalking, sleepwalking murders cases. and stuff. Yeah, um, there could be. I mean, it, it could potentially be like uh, to the point where you're committing a crime. Because I know in one case, like um, there was a case study where a man was in this case, like he was um, basically assaulting his wife, but he was, uh, they found like, it was totally out of his character. So they, they actually found evidence of this, um, you know, uh, sleep disorder. And, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, you think about like, oh, it's creepy because like, what if people just use this as an excuse to like get out of like murder cases or assault cases and it's very very rare that this is ever used as a defense in court and even rarer that it is successfully used so for now i don't think that's much of a um much of a i think you know thankfully it was his wife so like she knew the sort of behavior It'd be yeah. terrifying for right. like, you know. Yeah, but that God, that must be so scary because he was. She was saying like he just was completely unresponsive to like her saying like, "What the heck are you doing?" Right, because like, he was in a different reality. And, yeah, yeah, he was, he was, um, you know, like this, like he had been taken possessed by like his sleeping self, and it's just, it's really creepy. That is scary. I, and in a way, that is yeah. sort of like uh, from an outside outside perspective, like you use the word possessed. Yeah. That is a, uh, that is a demon. Yeah, that, that does feel that like an demon. incubus possessing you and, and making you do sex. 
Uh, <laughs> but like, what a, what a lovely demon! I know. I, I actually so like, um, I I do not have sexomnia as far as I know, but like I do have sleepwalking, which really freaks me out because I'm like, I'm always like, I go through this thought process of like, I don't want to leave knives out or scissors out. And it's very rare that I sleepwalk. It's typically when I'm sleep deprived or in a new place or on some kind of like cold medication. But I'm always just like, I have this paranoia of like, well, if I sleepwalk now, I don't want anything I can fall off of or like trip on or like yeah. think is candy and eat. You know? That would be terrifying. It's, it's, and it'd probably yeah. be terrifying to live with you. Yeah, I mean, Keep knives around and I stuff. I know, right? You're just knives lying out. What, what, what are you doing, Katie? Yeah, <laughs> just, just looking at some candy. Um, well, once so, like, again, this is very rare for me to sleepwalk. But um, we're on this family vacation when I was a little kid, and that's a situation in which you can, if you're sort of predisposed to it, you can sleepwalk because um, you're in, you, your sleep is kind of thrown off. You're in a new location. Um, and according to my brother, like I got out of, I, I like went into his room because we had this like bed and breakfast where he had a separate room, and I like stare, like stared at him from the foot of the bed, and then took off my slippers and then left them by the door frame, and then just walked into the bathroom, and he heard this, heard this like splashing sound, and I was like throwing like earplugs and this eye mask into the toilet. That's so weird. I know it was really, it must have been really creepy for him. But it was very funny. It's me. very. I mean, I've I've <laughs> I've come across one sleepwalker in it, yeah. and it is scary for the us because it doesn't seem like yeah. rational human behavior. Yeah, it's quite I, scary. I'm always like nervous, like like if there's something where it's like I feel like I'm sleeping in a hotel or something. I'm like, I really don't want to freak people. <laughs> just like just lock, just yeah, staring just lock staring off into the void, seeing ghosts that nobody but me can see. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, no story is complete without some kinky scientists playing God. So researchers created a love virus. So there are these prairie voles that are monogamous. They're adorable. They, they cuddle. They love each other. They are very faithful to their little prairie vole mate. And then there are these metal voles, which are these raunchy, you know, slutty little, little sexual deviants who uh, are not very monogamous. Um, so researchers created this like love virus where they took the romantic loyalty gene gathered from monogamous prairie voles and then spliced it with a virus and then injected this virus that now has this like faithful prairie vole gene into the brains of the promiscuous meadow voles. And then that caused the meadow voles to start cuddling with their mates in a more monogamous way, similar right. to the prairie voles. Um, but the fact it's in, like, this virus, it's like, what if this virus escapes and then, like, turns everyone into, like, these really lovey-dovey, like, huggy, you know. Hippies. Hippies, yeah. But, like, really conservative hippies because they choose one partner and right, they right. only hug them. But surely these viruses probably wouldn't be able to translate to us, right? No, no. But, you know, there have been viruses that move from birds to humans, from yeah, pigs yeah. to humans. So it, it's possible. It is possible. It's possible. I mean, we're already, you know, sort of monogamists. But uh, ideologically, true. though, That's we're not true. we're not genetically yeah. monogamous. It, it, it feels like it'd be weird, though, to, like, be forced to love someone because of a virus. But then that's getting back to the... But the, then uh, what is a virus? It's right. Like, you know, you, you could say that an idea is a virus. Right. 
That's yeah. That's that's. And if we're monogamous because of a thing that happened yeah. in fourteen hundred, well, it's not know, yeah, through genetics. Actually, there are, is also um, virus DNA in our DNA because of um, horizontal evolution, where you get you have a virus, it messes with your genetic code, and then you pass that down. So that we makes sense. That. Yeah. But also, like it would probably create you know mutations and survival yeah. of the fittest and stuff. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure there's been hundreds, thousands. Surely, in our in our sort of evolutionary history. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just none that make us hug each other, which would be nice. Would be it, nice. But I, I feel like at the core, that is who we are. We just, you know, we just need to understand just and listen to each other. Just a big ball of disgusting viruses. Yeah, that's yeah. all we are. <laughs> so, um, what's up with movies always punishing people for having sex? Uh, like, if you're in a horror movie and you're caught boning, you're screwed because, like. Uh, I don't know. I guess there's like some pretty heavy cultural implications there, puritanical stuff and mm-hmm. so on. But I wonder if, in addition, there's like this deeper kind of reptilian fear about having sex because it's like, you know, while you're doing it, your attention is really undivided. You're physically and mentally in a vulnerable position, which makes you like a really easy target for predation. Um, did you see uh, the movie uh, Quiet Place? I did. Uh, yeah, where like Jim from The Office fights monsters. <laughs> it was a very good film and one of the best cinema experiences I've been to. It's where people wouldn't even dare eating popcorn. Oh, really? That's really polite of them. Have you, did you see it? I I didn't see it in theaters. No. Oh my god! Genuinely, like I'm a big movie nerd. Yeah. And it was an amazing experience, whether you like the film or not. Yeah. Just because it was designed a quiet place. It was yeah. you know a noise was. It's so you terrifying. had to be so you had to be quiet as an audience member to kind of hear what they were saying. No, it's, it, you didn't have to, but mm. uh, it kept you on your toes because a single noise in the movie meant something bad. Yeah. And so we were all just on the edge of our seat. Yeah. And it was constructed Listening beautifully with sound and stuff like that. Yeah. And so people actually, the movie was so quiet, people didn't dare to eat popcorn. Wow. It was generally so cool. an amazing experience. Yeah. That's amazing. But so, what, yeah, what, what are you saying about sex? Oh, just like. You know, so in in the movie, Emily Hunt character gets pregnant. So, like, at some point they had to have sex, like, while the monster's around, right? Yeah. But you can have nice, quiet sex. This I is, mean... This is sort of a variety. So, for um, flies, they're under the constant threat of being eaten by bats, who are really overpowered because they... Um, <laughs> right. They, they can literally see sound. Yeah, they have biosonar, which is yeah. echolocations. They send out clicks that bounces off a thing and then they receive it. Um, so they can hear uh, even the faintest sound of fly humping. Uh, <laughs> so there are these natters bats that listen for the, quote, sexual buzzes. <laughs> That's the study. so mean as well, I to know. wait while they're having sex. I know. It's really rude. It's like it's like goes against the dorm code. Um, and then so like when they hear it, they swoop in and just eat them. So with echolocation, there are a few limitations. So like if they're inside a small structure like a shed and echoes are bouncing all around, it's kind of hard to distinguish those from the bouncing off from flies. So there's this ornithologist, Stefan Grief, who found that normally bats are unable to detect flies inside a shed. There can be like thousands of flies just hanging out on the roof and the bat is just like, my one weakness is being in a shed and I can't hear because I'm bouncing sound everywhere and it just like is confusing. Right, right. Um, but when the flies start having sex, the bats are just like, bam, able to find them and eat them. And like, 
a quarter of these mating flies were caught by the bats and they consume the entire pair. They just eat both of them right. in one like chomp. Uh, that's romantic. I know. At least they both go together. I feel like that's the world's worst chaperone is just like, instead of being like, make room for Jesus, they just like come and like eat you. <laughs> <laughs> so they did this. Uh, <laughs> this is funny because like, you know, with these studies, you kind of have to like weed out variables. So they wanted to test to see if it was the visual of the mating flies or the sound, like if they were just using their actual vision or their sonar. Um, so the researchers stuck two dead flies together as if they were mid-boning and put them on the ceiling, um, which uh, this National Geographic article called a, quote, macabre sex diorama, <laughs> which is like, I want to make a band that's called that. Love like, that. Uh, yeah, like an alt. Mechanical. What was it? What did you say? Uh, a macabre sex diorama. Yeah, that's a great band name. That is. Like any if any of you guys have like a grunge band or a punk band, do that. Or even metal would be good too. I love that some scientists have a lot of time on their hands. <laughs> you know, because we didn't we didn't yeah. ask for that question to yeah. be answered, but that well, answer yeah. that answer is now available for Look, us. You need to know, like and if you need to glue dead flies together as if make this like fly erotica out of fly corpses in the name of pursuing a question that very few people have even thought of, mm. go for it. That's what the Nobel Prizes are all about. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, people know the Nobel Prizes are for like things that really help the world. Yeah. Uh, the Ig Nobel Prizes are sort of the opposite where yeah. no one asked, but we now have the answers and to this great. question. Yeah. It's great. Um, so the bats were never fooled by the, or they, they couldn't see the dead fly, um, diorama. Um, so, which (laughs) kind of reminds, you know, those bodies exhibits where they like have dead, the the flayed open dead bodies and like sometimes they're having sex. That just really creeps me But that makes sense. They need sound. Uh, to end the episode, I want to address a question I know is on everyone's minds. Uh, do bats 69? Evolutionary biologists are on the case. They found that female Chinese fruit bats indeed perform fellatio during mating copulations. Uh, it's thought to help encourage the males to keep on going, which is really funny to me, where it's like, it's like, no, no, keep going. You're good. You're good. Um, it makes sense because yeah. they're, they're also hanging from they're the ceiling, sh- yeah, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of abdominal. You got to have a really strong core to like have sex as a bat. And I bet it must be beautiful bat sex because let's say you've got them like one is hanging from the ceiling mm-hmm. and then they can use their wings as like a duvet. Mm, oh. Like a privacy screen. That's adorable. I that don't is... think they care. I think they're just like straight up boning. No, but I, that's what I'd like to have wings for. It's like, yeah. Come on, get, oh, get, yeah, get in yeah. this. Get in this with me. Yeah. Uh, so so they, uh, you know, like you, you might think like, well, great. Of course, the men always get it. But what about cunnilingus? Well, what do you know? Yep. Some bats do that, too. Uh, researchers have found that male Indian flying foxes will perform oral sex on the females. Which, uh, you know, hashtag woke bats. Good for bats. Good for bats. That's why maybe Bruce Wayne is so, so promiscuous. <laughs> He's so with, sexy, yeah. yeah. All, the, all the, like, Catwoman, Harley Quinn, everyone seems to get on that bat. DC is quite yeah. um, sexualized. Yeah, that's the reason that he chose the bat, not because he's afraid of it, but that it's like a subtle signal to women that he's a very generous lover. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just feel really grateful to those researchers who were watching all that bat fellatio for the sake of science. Right. Yeah. It's, just like, it's just like, what are you doing today, Jim? And it's like, well, got to watch bats bat go pond. down on each other. Yeah, bat pond. <laughs> 
no, 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 no. Bad porn. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, you got anything to plug? Uh, I do. Uh, I've got an album coming out on the 9th of November mm. called Alien of Extraordinary Ability. Ooh. Uh, that's a title that Americans give you, well, the American government gives you when oh, you yes. move to the country. That's right. Um, so whether you're like a sports person, an artist, a scientist, you are called an alien of extraordinary ability. That's not got any negative connotations. <laughs> well, yes. It's quite, so I sort of, sort of explore that briefly, but it's, um, yeah, it's kind of a, it's my first album because in the that's UK... Really cool. In the UK, we don't do albums because yeah. um, we don't. We just don't drive as far. We don't. You need do. To you do albuminiums, right? What's that? <laughs> just oh, you do an aluminium. Yeah, yeah. aluminium. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's my first album, and it's. A, I'm pretty actually excited by it. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so that's coming out, and then I've got two podcasts. So aliens of extraordinary. Alien of extraordinary ability. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Great. Uh, and then I do a podcast called Topical Island, uh, where I get stoned and explore topics. It's a. It's a. It's funny because it's a tropical island, but it's topical. Do you see? Yeah. Do you see what I, I did? See, I saw that. Ba -da -ba -da -ba <laughs> and then another one called Comedian Cinema Club. Mm. Uh, we, we just talk talk about movies. Nice. Um, so yeah. That's that's what I've got to offer the world. Excellent. Check those things out, you guys. And you can find me on Twitter at ProBirdWrites, where I pretend to be a bird, and it's really fun. Or at Katie Golden, where I pretend to be a human, and it's really fun. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a Did you struggle with that sentence? I really did. I, I'm just like, just, let, <clears throat> let me do it again. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And please join us again next week on Creature Feature. <laughs> <laughs>